I want to go to the book of John, chapter 11, and I want to, I'm talking about miracles on, on these Friday night services. I'm teaching on the miraculous God we serve. He does supernatural things because he's supernatural. And I believe in the natural world, and I deeply appreciate it. I believe in the physical world, and I understand that, you know, all of that which we see in the physical emanates out of the invisible, according to the scriptures. The whole world is framed by the word of God. And everything that we see, hear, and so forth with our senses came out of a creator who created this beautiful, amazing scenario. So everything starts and ends, and in the middle is comprised of the supernatural, of the extraordinary, of the miraculous. And there was a case in the book of John where... Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. Anybody know where I'm headed with this? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, anybody remember what happened to him, what his issue was? He died. That's a big deal. Do you know how, remember how long he had been in the grave? Four days. That's pretty significant. So um, this helps us to all understand the scope and the power of the miracles that Jesus had in his earthly ministry. So let's go to verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met. Uh, then the Jews who were with him in her house and were consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So now they are mourning, they're grieving, their brother died, they're just, they're so saddened. And therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So they're grieved, they're grief-stricken, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're hurt. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, biggest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, look at this, verse 40. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let's read that again. Did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. I want to talk to you about the impact of belief. And this verse really articulates it. This tells us that we'll see the glory of God as we believe consistently with the, the God of glory. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've, you have heard me. Uh, he said, um, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. There's that word believe again. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had, he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So there were some snitch tattletales that saw a, a notable miracle and went and whined about it. But then there were some that decided they were going to believe. And what Jesus said to Mary and Martha, he's saying to us today, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Amen. And you know, I, I, my friend Doug Jones from Bible school, I've known since 1970s, he preached here one time and he's a very good teacher. I really enjoy him. And he talked about believing. And he said, you know what being a believer is? It's a person that has beliefs. I mean, I wrote that down. It was so profound in its simplicity. Because I was expecting a more like esoteric, religious kind of layering of something that I still yet couldn't really conceive of. And he bo boiled it down. Well, I have beliefs. How many of you have beliefs? I have beliefs about things. I have view a viewpoint. And um, he basically is saying, if you embrace the God-shaped worldview, you're going to have biblical results in your life. You know, the famous verse in John, this is John 11, but in John 3, you know, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So the impact of belief is you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. I remember a group of atheists, very intelligent, scholarly atheists, and one of their friends had passed. And they kind of smugly said he's entered out into the eternal oblivion. And I thought, well... If you believe, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life, not eternal oblivion. There's a big distinction between everlasting life and eternal oblivion. And there was a big deal between Lazarus just staying. He eventually did die. Everybody does. But that was apparently premature in the case of Lazarus, and he raised him back up. And in fact, it says Lazarus, they, it became a novelty in the town. People came to see Lazarus. And some came to see Jesus, but some actually came to see Lazarus. So Jesus would be standing there and people would be walking by and they go, oh, hey, Jesus. And they walk by, I want to talk to Lazarus. And I think a lot of us human beings actually do. I mean, ultimately it's ideal that we really throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. But sometimes the reason we do throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus is because of what Jesus produces. And then we turn back and go, you know what? Thank you. You're amazing. I just so appreciate this verse. Uh, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And then it says in verse 18, he that believes on him is not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation hanging over the head of those who respond to and receive Jesus. When you believe in him, it's amazing. There's no condemnation. The guilt, shame, condemnation sentence that has been looming over us has been carried and taken away by the power of Jesus. 
Colossians 1.13, Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's an impact in belief. How many of you think it was an amazing moment for Mary and Martha? They, it doesn't appear were roused in confident faith. Uh, and yet when Jesus said, roll away the stone, I don't know, as a male-dominated society then, but I wonder if Mary and Martha, just by what I've read about them, if they rolled up their sleeves and they helped push that stone out of the way. I, I think it's amazing. And I think it's interesting, too, that Jesus that raised Lazarus asked hum humanity to roll the stone away. Because he could have had them blast through the, the stone. So it's amazing. There's another little uh, hidden gem there that God wants to include us human beings in on his divine activities. He could just do it all, and C.S. Lewis said he would do it impeccably, and we fumble over it, but yet God in his love has, has invited and included us into this moment to God be the glory. Go to Mark chapter 16. I want to show you something here that's really, really telling about the goodness of God. It's also, I could just as easily read it from Matthew 28, but I'll read the Mark account says a similar thing. Mark 16, it talks about from verse 4 all the way to verse 20. We won't read the whole thing, but they're looking up and they see Jesus. You know, the, the stone rolls away. He's risen. Don't be amazed. He's not here. He's risen just as he said and so forth. And um, the disciples and Peter ran to the, to the see what was happening. And it was just this amazing hinge point of the Jesus movement. This is where it gets the biggest portion of its traction is that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Not only does he raise from the dead, he himself was raised from the dead and we will be raised from the dead. I just talked to a gentleman who's having a birthday and birthdays are a blessing. You don't need to be morbid about it. You know what they mean when you have a birthday? It means you're still alive. So quit whining. But yet there's a new birth that sustains us that even when we die, we live. And that's the great assurance that we carry through our lifespan, even when we lose loved ones. There was a dear lady who was married to her husband for over 70 years. They were deep. They were sweethearts. They didn't just get along. They really loved each other. And when he passed, I was concerned about her, and I visited her and talked with her, and she was not in denial about the loss. She just wasn't morbid about it either. She grieved, but not like the world grieves because she knows she's going to get to see him again. That's the hope we have. It takes away a lot of the torturous ache of the losses that we see in life. And we serve a miraculous God who only does wondrous things. So now Jesus, listen to this. Where should I go with this here? Let's, let's, go, with, let's go with verse 12. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of, the, of them while they were walking along on the way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. So there was so much unbelief and so much disbelief at the moment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Afterward, verse 14, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Jesus has paid the penalty for humanity's sins. He's talking to the people who have been walking with him for three years in his earthly ministry. 
and he's having to rebuke them for being in unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This shows how wonderful, loving, merciful, patient, and inclusive Jesus is. He's having to rebuke these guys for being in unbelief, and then he says, now go and change the world. Fascinating how God is so merciful. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. There's the impact of belief. He who believes and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. Demons are disembodied spirits. It's not a metaphor. They're actually spiritual creatures that are evil and harsh under the leadership of Satan, and we have authority over them, and we're to cast them out. They will speak with new tongues, which is an amazing provision in the Bible. You could read it in the book of Acts. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul on the Isle of Malta was helping put some wood on a fire that had been built by the, the barbarians on the island. They were being gracious to the people who had the shipwreck, and a serpent fastened itself on Paul's arm. He shook it into the fire, and he didn't die. They kept waiting for him to bloat and die. There are a lot of people watching you. They're waiting for you to bloat and die. And you haven't bloated and you haven't died. Maybe we bloated a little bit, but we haven't died. But even Lazarus did bloat and die, and God still raised him from the dead. He raises from the dead. Uh, they will pick up serpents if they drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was raised up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with signs that followed. So it must have worked that Jesus imparted all this faith into them, and yet they were in disbelief. So then it must have worked that when he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, it must have worked and they must have repented and they got strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they preached, and signs and wonders followed. Here's how, what the Lord started the church with. One, in verse eight, they were afraid. It says in verse eight, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. They had never seen anything like it. They were afraid. Of verse 10, uh, it says that, so, they went, uh, so she went and reported to those who had been with them, while they were mourning and weeping. So they were afraid. They were mourning and weeping. Verse 11, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe. So they weren't just in some sort of passive doubt. They were adamantly refusing to believe. And then in verse 13, they did not believe. So Jesus rebuked the unbelief, the hardness of heart, and I feel like that is what God is having us do at the, begin, end of the end of this year, the transition into a new year. It's time for us to look to the God of the miraculous, the God of the supernatural, the God that only does wondrous things. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think and, uh, and get our hearts engaged, get our, our sensibilities trained, get our aspirations onto a biblical uh, position 
and trust for supernatural things to come to pass. In uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. That when you believe, there's such an amazing provision. It's, there's something so dynamic about being a believer. I remember when I first experienced salvation, when I gave my life to Jesus as a teenager, I legitimately had my life changed. My life had changed. How could I stand here t- telling you, I'm over 28 years old now, and I'm telling you, that was a while ago. That was 48 years ago when I asked Jesus into my heart. Last month it was 48 years. Jesus changed my life, and I am for this very grateful. Here's another thing. He gives you power to become his children when you believe in his name. But as many as received him, this is one of my favorite verses, to them gave he power or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus' name is above every name. It means salvation. He's the Messiah. He came to rescue. He's the rescuer. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to destroy the work of the devil. And he came to empower a people to think differently than they ever thought, to believe differently than they ever believed, to dream bigger than they've ever dreamed, and to go forth in the order that these signs will accompany them with those who believe in his name. When my wife and I were first uh, introduced to one another, we spent a lot of time in prayer. We were enthusiastic. We had both really experienced some change. We were college age. Our lives had changed. We had gone through some dark times separately from each other. We came out on the other end, and God rescued us and met us there. And then we got together in that context. We had the good fortune of experiencing great teaching at that time about how powerful God is and about how he wants to set captives free and about how he makes us a brand new creation. When you believe in him, he gives you power to become a child of God. Isn't that amazing? There's really a value in your beliefs. And you can't let unbelief or people that are ignoring it talk you out of it. Nobody's talking you into it. It's your decision, but it's something John 6, says, no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. That's what's been happening. That's what happened to me at 16 years old in 1972. I was lost, a secular kid, empty as could be. I imbibed on what was present at the time, at that age, watched the world the way it was going, felt its uh, fracture, felt its wheezing, not unlike the cycle that we've just hit again. And what, what happened was God was so merciful. He was reaching into our, the youth culture, and he was reaching into the elderly. He was reaching into church, and he was doing his extraordinary things. In a very real way, he was standing at the tomb, let Lazarus come forth. He was calling a lost culture to come forth out of darkness, out of its own putrefaction and into light. He was calling cold religious churches to come and have an awakening and experience a freshness from the Holy Spirit. And he's doing it again. And so this is why I'm preaching what I'm preaching and what I have on my heart. And if you've been coming on Friday nights or you've been watching, I've been talking about how Zacchaeus, a businessman, ran through town and climbed a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus was compelled to go to his house and have lunch with him. And he led him into the kingdom and he got set free and became a new man. About blind Bartimaeus who cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples said, hey, man, knock it off. Don't bother him. We're, doing, we're, in, we're in God's business. And 
Jesus said, no, I want to talk to him. And they, they said, take courage, arise, the master wants to speak to you. And I think that's what the Lord's saying to all of us. Take courage, arise, the master wants to speak to you. And I believe he's looking for people that will believe because all things are possible to him that believes. There's an impact in believing right there. I want, I've already got ahead of myself because that was my kick in verse, but that's the way it is. Did I not say that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? Famous Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. One guy asked Jesus, please, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think this helps to get unbelief out of our lives. This helps to not have hardness of heart or disbelief. And God wants us to have a concreteness about our beliefs. This, he's not asking us just to go out and be mystics and just have something that's baseless. I mean, this is emphatic from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that he is a supernatural and extraordinary God. And you could talk to the physicists and the people that are trying to figure out the subatomic material that's created and that everything is comprised of. And at this point, the last time I heard, it has to do with sound. Have you heard that? And, you know, I would love to have been there at the beginning when he said, let there be light. That had to be quite a sound. And maybe that very expression from the essence and heart of God is embedded in every molecule and every atom and the subatomic level and every particle throughout the universe. That maybe it holds a piece of that moment when he said, let there be light. How about when he said, Lazarus, come forth? I heard a preacher say he had to say Lazarus because if he hadn't, and he just said, come forth, the whole place would have emptied out. Because in fact, when Jesus resurrected, a bunch of people also got a jailbreak and they're all walking around and their people are like, I talked to a Baptist guy about this. I said, what, what do you think about this? Uh, he didn't want to talk about it. It was too freaky for him. It's freaky, but it's beautiful in a freaky, beautiful, awesome way. And uh, so, hallelujah. Yeah, they were, they were in Abraham's bosom. They were waiting for redemption. There were just all kinds of amazing things. There's a category of people there that they're in heaven going, let me tell you what my testimony is. Uh, but they're looking to see yours, hear yours. What about that pandemic in 2020? What about that, you know, what you had to overcome through your life? You know, listen, I appreciate Joseph. Because when Jacob died, remember when Joseph had a dream he was one of the sons of Jacob. And he had a dream about how he, he felt like there was something of a destiny on his life. And he made the mistake of communicating it and made, jealous, and made his brothers jealous. They threw him in a hole. They were going to kill him. Uh, Reuben and Judah decided to put him into slavery or who, whoever they were. I think it was Judah. And then um, so he goes off into, he gets in Potiphar's house and becomes, uh, he, he, he he prospers, and, and, and Potiphar's wife gets lustful toward him, keeps pursuing him. He keeps saying no. He keeps turning away from her advances. And at one point, she grabs him, and, and he runs away, and his coat comes off. And so then she is a woman scorned, and she's hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So she gets mad, and she's bitter. So she said, he tried to do something to me. Well, she actually had done it, tried to do something to him. He, out of conscience and wanting not to displease God ran from temptation, which is a really great testimony. And he got in jail for it. And, uh, and, and so he was in a really rough place for about 17 years. And then, um, but yet God raised him up. God gave him visions and dreams while he was in that containment. 
You know God's given you visions and dreams while you're in this containment. You know, the Lord's been speaking some things to me that I've never experienced in the 48 years of my life of, of, as a Christian. I've had some experiences recently with the Lord that are just very, very unusual, and I'm very amazed. And I can understand why God, in my case, would wait 48 years, because he needed to work on me. Unless you want to get tempted to judge these guys, well, look, they didn't believe him when these people said they saw the grave was empty, tomb was empty, they're just full of unbelief. Well, I would fit right in there with these guys. I would be at the table with the 11. I would be one of the other ones standing there, and Jesus would be going, get that unbelief out of your life, and get that hardness of heart out of your life, and get going. I'm going to ascend now, and I'm going to come back, and I need you to get some work done through your, the, the next couple thousand years. And by the way, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And so, you know, here we are in this moment, and, uh, and God is, is, is wanting to pour out his spirit. He, he already has poured out his spirit on all flesh, but he wants to do some amazing things in our particular time. And this is what Habakkuk said, you know, God, you've done great things in times past. Please revive your work in our time. And I think that's at the heart of every uh, serious believer. We want to see God do his thing in our lifetime because this is our, these are our contemporaries. These are the things we're concerned about. These are the nations and these are the billions of people that are alive right now that we don't want to see perish. We lift up our eyes and we look to the Lord of the harvest and we pray he would thrust forth laborers into the harvest field that are competent, that share Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way, that understand the supernatural in a way where they can flow with it organically and understand and trust God for it and be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. I do not relate to people that get mystical and spooky when they start communicating this stuff. It's too important to put spin doctoring on it. And it's too serious and too necessary for us to turn it into a little fetish and, and make it a little culture, a carnival atmosphere around it. No, this has got to be rubber meets the road, change the heart and mindset of a people. And God's looking for people that will let him deal with their unbelief and hardness of heart, let their hearts become stirred again. Listen, we had a young guy die in the church, and it affected me for a couple of years. But his mother said to me, Pastor Jeff, don't stop preaching on healing. I got so wounded by the loss of this young boy. He was, a, first of all, a tremendous little kid. He prayed for me. Uh, he, he you know, was a single mother. There was a, he was just a special uh, guy, and he died from a brain tumor. And it, it was devastating. It was devastating. But that mother said to me, don't, Pastor Jeff, don't stop preaching on healing. Well, later on, as it turns out, she had a terrible battle. And it, God sustained her with the message of healing through a lot of that, those years and gave her extra years. So she got payoff for what she exhorted me on. And it was amazing that that experience of a loss in a battle tempted me to want to back off of the war entirely. Or you're a minister and you see things that seem like they're suspect and it's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Or I didn't get in this to get in some sort of quirky, bizarre culture. I got saved because Jesus drew me and I wanted to walk with him in a credible way. I wanted to be engaging where my friends around me and my neighbors are, are become jealous for the relationship I have with God and they want Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I want to see a breed of people, Acts chapter 2 types, that are filled with the Holy Spirit and that continually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. But, I mean, in a pandemic, we kind of get a few of those things kind of, uh, uh, you know, sort of imposed upon. And yet, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. The Word of God is undiminished. It's not quarantined. The Word of God is not imprisoned. It's going to go and go and go. And wherever God's word goes with faith, signs and wonders will follow. They went out everywhere, preaching everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that followed. You are created in Christ for good works. And that his, he's able to make all grace abound to you, so you having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work including leading people to the Lord. He that is wise wins souls, Proverbs 11.30. Take the nets, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So they forsook their nets and they took up the nets to win souls. This is a net, this is a net message where we, we start to realize, God, you raised Lazarus from the dead. God, you healed Bartimaeus' blind eyes. God, you healed leprosy. God, what about HIV, AIDS? Can you help people out with that? Sure. He healed all manner of sickness and disease. What about cancer? You said, Pastor Jeff, you just lost a case when you were praying and you lost a case. Listen, I was with a man. We prayed for a lady for two and a half hours in the hospital till she turned cold, believing God we'd raise her up. And I'd do it again because there's precedence in the scripture. We lost the battle. But I'm not going to back off of the word of God. Well, now I'm just not going to ever try to pray or do anything like that ever again. No. Just in case God may be wanting us to trust him and believe God. I know what I'm saying is somewhat radical. But the, if you look up the definition for radical, it, it's from the word radix, and it means root-like. Or to be most like the original purpose. So people say, oh, you're a radical. No, it's just I'm trying to get back to my first love. I'm trying to get back to the heart of why God created us. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And aren't you glad he cheer was cheerleading people that were afraid, mourning and weeping, refused to believe and did not believe? How many of you feel like there's hope for you? There might be some miracles around in your situation right now. God, I'm telling you, wants to recruit us, and he wants to deploy us. And I'm watching as a pastor, and I, I know what I want to see deployed out of the church, and I know what I don't want to see deployed, because I've been at this, as I said, for 48 years. I've been in, this is our 40th year of pastoring in St. Louis, pastoring. We've been pastoring in St. Louis for 40 years. This church, we've pastored since 1988, so 32 years. So we're not, we weren't born yesterday. I'm not coming from an idyllic or, you know, sort of youthful exuberance. My youthful exuberance has had the heck beat out of it. It's like a pillow fight and all the feathers are knocked out of it. You know what I'm saying? It's a pillowcase. But I'll tell you what my pillowcase is full of. The confidence that God's power works toward us who believe. Power works toward a believer. Your belief is a power magnet. When you get in on the scene, God, I believe. I believe. I receive when I pray. I'm praying for our nation. And I'm not going to stop praying for my nation. 
I've dialed back the news. One of my friends just said, I stopped watching the news. I'm now spending time in the good news. I said, we watched too much news during the election. We all did. Let's just face it. Let's collectively repent. The spin doctoring is ridiculous from every angle. But the good news, hallelujah. That's our primary agenda. And we trust God that he's going to answer the prayers and we're going to see the results. Hallelujah. Acts 16.31 says, and they, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer. And you shall be saved and your house. So I am a big believer that not only does an individual get saved, but a whole household gets saved. My brother became a Christian. My mom asked me to lead her to the Lord. My dad came here to church and he would raise his hands like this. He'd be on the back wall and he'd be going like this. He did one of those yawn things. John, Pastor John Moore saw him do it, and, it, and we watched him get his heart tender toward God. He wasn't even a hugger, and he became a hugger. He never, you know, he wasn't one that said, I love you, but then it, he just adopted all the love languages. He became a beautiful, and his mother was a born-again, spirit-filled lady that got healed of cancer in the 1950s. So I got adopted into a heritage. My stepdad's mother was a fiery prayer warrior. A lost, disenfranchised punk from California got saved. I'm a living miracle. And you heard me talk about being delivered from being lost at sea in New Zealand or being rescued from the Coast Guard. You heard me say it 57,000 times for a year and a half. It was part of my convalescing, and you all had to be my counselors. Every message I referenced it. Because, you know, when you, you appreciate when you've been, set, you've been rescued. And... Uh, I would think these 11 that Jesus scolded for their hardness of heart and their unbelief, we were so appreciative. When my wife and I first met, we would pray and we'd go out witnessing and we would talk to people and engage in conversation. And it was a really sweet time. It was before cell phone technology. It was when people had personal conversations with each other. And you could actually walk up to a stranger and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I ask you something? And it wasn't heavy-handed. It wasn't browbeating. It wasn't weird. You could have... And we prayed about favor and opportunity, and God, God used that. And I pray that we get to have that again. Maybe after all this, people will get tired of being isolated, and they'll just yearn for connection. And it could maybe set the field for some greater interaction, maybe better, maybe something that more, is more consistent with who we are made to be as social creatures, right? Maybe. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And when we preach in faith, uh, we'll get results. When you pray, you believe you receive. Mark eleven twenty three says to speak to mountains. 24 says, when you pray, believe that you receive. And there's that again. When you, you pray and you believe, you'll receive. So one of the impacts of believing is you'll receive. So we, that's why we'd better make sure our belief system is in line with God's word and get on with that. And not let anybody talk us out of it or let anybody talk us into it. So I, I'm running out of time now. Um, but so I want to just finish up with this. They were afraid, mourning and weeping, refused to believe and did not believe. And yet Jesus drove that out of them and drove the point into him. Go preach into all the world. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Signs and wonders. There's a psalm, psalm, I think it's 86, and it's an interesting verse. Psalm, is it Psalm 86, 17, about tokens of thy good? Does anybody know that verse? 
Psalm 86, 17. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. What he basically, the psalmist was saying is, God, the King James says, a token of thy good. Just a little indicator, God. Now, you know, I have, I have a, my wife has talked to me about this and she's helped me with this because in the charismatic movement, I've seen people get signs oriented. And the Bible says that it's a crooked and perverse generation that seeks after signs. So I became very, not skeptical or cynical about signs, just they have their place. These signs will follow those who believe, but we really technically don't necessarily need signs when we have the word of God as sufficient as the final say. Does that make sense? And yet, you know, God does show us tokens of thy good. I mean, there's so many times. How many of you in here would say, God's been good to me and has shown you tokens of, of his good? And, and just to nudge you forward in life, just to keep you encouraged, just to help you out of the ditch. And I think there are a lot of people, listen, I'll tell you, I'll close with a story. I went to a Christian bookstore and I bought a book. I still haven't read it because every time I'd buy it, I'd give it away. To, God would have me give it away to somebody. It's a book that I've never read. I, I don't even want to go try to buy one because I know it'll just give, I'll have to give it away again. So my friend was driving his car. We pulled away from Lindbergh Boulevard onto Dorset Road and we were driving down Dorset Road. I looked out of the corner of my eye and there was a bar, it was the middle of the day, and there was a bar and there was a tree out in the parking lot and there was a woman sitting under the tree. And when I was, I was sitting there out of my peripheral vision, this caught my eye and I looked over and just in a, he was probably driving 40 miles per hour. And so it was very, very quick. I had this impression, turn around and go talk to that lady. So I thought about it for a moment, maybe a quarter mile, I said, hey, would you mind if you turn around and we can go talk? There, I, I saw a lady in the, under that tree. I think we should go talk to her. So you say, yeah, sure. So we pulled a U-turn and we came back in, pulled up. There's this lady under this tree, um, you know, probably a little younger than my mom's age. I was 20-something. And I walked up with my friend. I said, excuse me, ma'am, you all right? She looked up at me and uh, I could tell she had been drinking, but she was not completely inebriated, but she was, had been drinking. So I began to talk to her about the Lord. I said, I said, you don't know me, but I just was driving by. We drove by, and when I saw you, uh, I'm a Christian, and I felt like I was supposed to come back here and, and just encourage you that Jesus really loves you, and whatever you're going through, you know, he, he has answers for you. And, and she looked up at me, and she said, there you are. And I, and I you know, I, I thought... Well, yeah, she said, she said, last night I prayed that God would send somebody to talk to me and help me about this. I wanted to know about God, and there you are. You said, well, well, she was drunk. So, well, probably enough to have her inhibitions drop so she could be honest with herself and with me at that moment and listen. Well, just then the bar owner came out. Man, he looked like he's about six feet five, maybe was in the Marine Corps for 40 years made out of beef jerky, you know? And he, and, and I look back and I, cause we weren't uh, violating her space. We, we followed good protocol. We knew to, you know, so we, but he came out and, and misread the moment, you know, got kind of aggressive. I said, sir, I'm just, we just drove by. And when I saw her, I just felt like I was supposed to pray for her and encourage her about Jesus. I know a hell of a lot more about religion than you do, kid. Thumping on my chest. I said, sir, you probably do. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to espouse a bunch of religion. I'm just telling you this is what happened. And he got real aggressive, popping me on the chest. I, I mean, I had to step back a couple times. It actually was putting a hurt on me. And, um, but yet, I got the word to her. God prompted that. I, you know, I'm a Christian, minding my own business, buying a Christian book at a bookstore. And it could have been like a, a sequence of lollygagging, except for the fact that God wanted to insert me into a situation because that lady had prayed and it meant something to her, it meant something to God that somebody would be yielded to that opportunity and go in and, and step out in it, even though the bar owner was mean as a snake. And I witnessed to him and, and, and I, I said, God, why did you have me talk to him? He said, because I want him to be accountable because he didn't receive. And it was haunting to me to this day. She was receptive. He was resistant. I preached to both of them. She yielded and received. He was harsh and hardened. And I said, God, why did, I, why did you even, that was, that was upsetting to me. That was crazy. Why did, I even, why did you even have me do that? Because he'll be accountable now for what he heard. That's deep. But so my brother worked at a, a store in the mall. I said I would close with a story. Well, I'm going to bring in an extra story. This is a good one. That was a good one, too. What are you talking about? That was a great story. My brother worked in the warehouse at a store, Paul Harris, which was a, which a ladies, clothing, ladies clothing store. And he had a job emptying trucks and loading things up and getting things out of boxes. And, and um, so I went there to see him, and I guess he was gone. He was out to lunch or something. And so there was another worker there that we knew that was actually in our wedding. So there was a lady behind the counter. So I said, do you know where Trey Perry is? He's my brother. No, he went out to lunch. But yet I said, hey, can you tell him Jesus loves him? And, you know, I started because he already knew it. But I was and then there was a lady behind me saying, stop saying those words. Stop saying those words. Stop saying those words. And I said, hold on just one minute. So and so I just finished up. I wasn't trying to be obnoxious. I wasn't passing out flyers. I wasn't using a bullhorn. It was just a, a moment. And I shared the gospel with the lady behind the counter. And the, our friend was there and overheard all of this. So then I, they, the, the lady kept yelling at me, telling me to leave. So I left. And um, two weeks later, everybody say two weeks later. It was upsetting. I felt like I failed. I felt like I upset that lady. Maybe I shouldn't have shared and that kind of thing. I was being an obnoxious new Christian. But I really wasn't. It was just a season, it was a time when God was moving and opening hearts and people were yearning, kind of like now, kind of like what's coming up, kind of like why I'm preaching this to prepare you. The door knocks, we lived at our parents' house. We were, teen, we were young, well, I was like 19, he was, he was 16 or 17 or something. And uh, I opened the door, there's our friend Kathy and the lady that was behind me saying, stop saying those words. She was the manager of the store. And she said, she was shaking. She said, I had to come and tell you what happened. She said, when you started saying those words, I got so enraged. I wanted you to stop saying those words. I said, what were the words? You were saying Jesus loves you, that you can receive him and you can have eternal life. And I wanted you to stop saying those words. She said, it so got a hold of me that I went home and I, I struggled with it and strained and I gave my heart to Jesus. I wanted to come here and tell you I got saved. It was even more radical than that. I'm not doing a good job telling the story. It was amazing. It was amazing. We had a lot of that. And what the devils tried to do is isolate us, shut us up, 
make us feel bad about ourselves, idealize other uh, alternate beliefs as though this is, if you're going to be progressive and cool, this is where you need to land. But you know what? When you believe on him, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. John 6, 47. Let's all stand up on our feet. They were afraid, mourning and weeping, refused to believe, and they did not believe, and yet Jesus rebuked it out of them. So I come against doubt, fear, unbelief, and I command it to lift. I pray for the people on the live stream right now that God will put a hearty awareness on your life to be aware of the fact that you might be the answer to somebody's prayer. No, don't go out and be obnoxious. Don't be rude, but be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't hold back from uh, being bold. Be bold. I'm sold on being bold. I, uh, however, I'm not advocating being obnoxious. I think we can be led by the Holy Spirit. We can trust God for our moment. And God will give us opportunity. Hallelujah.